there are a multitude of things in life that just go together. So kids, if you're paying attention, if I say something like peanut butter, you'll say jelly. Now, here's one for the older crowd, maybe. Maybe we think of root beer and float, ice cream. Okay, I, I say ice cream, float, that's, that's good too. Maybe we think of, this is going to be a tougher one now, summer and Dear season, that was the right answer right there. Dear <laughs> Vacation, maybe? I know, that was a little bit tricky, right? We think of, uh, all right, I'm going to hit y'all with another season one. Fall and football, also pumpkin spiced everything, right? We think about Sundays and church. Things that the moment a word is mentioned, our brains, our attention just shoots to another word or maybe a phrase that connects to it, right? Similarly, our brains tend to do thing, that same thing with things that are opposite. So if I say hot, you'll say cold. If I say marvel, you'll say DC, right? I know this is one for the, the nerds in the room. That's okay. Another one for the nerds, Xbox and PlayStation, Star Wars and Star Trek. All right. I can really tell this is hidden with y'all. This is good. Here's one that we'll all get, light and Light and darkness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this morning, we have been, over the past uh, several weeks now, we've been walking through this series titled, Walking in the Light, a study through the book of 1 John. And we're going to continue that study, that series today, in the uh, second chapter of 1 John, verses 15 through 17. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you may go ahead and open it up there now. If you need a copy of God's Word, we got some Bibles out there on the table by the front door. So feel free to, at this time, go and grab one. It's going to be 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And kids, if you have your activity sheet uh, with you, present with you, the word for today's sermon, the word of the sermon as I like to call it, is world. W-O-R-L-D. World And listen, I'm going to do my best to actually keep track with how many times I say the word world beginning now. Okay, so right now we're at zero. World, now we're at one. All right, so kids, y'all can keep track with that. That'll be a fun, fun thing. My wife also likes to keep track with it, and she is very, very accurate. So I'm counting on her to tell me exactly how many times I've said the word, that word, today. All right, so the word world. And as you turn there, we just want to review our background a little bit. The John, John, the author of the Gospel of John, as well as the book of Revelation, writes in his older years these three little letters that pack a big punch. The first letter he writes is, uh, is to believers that he personally knows, and it's full of little contrasts that he uses to articulate that which is right and good and that which is wrong and and sinful. And so in just the first chapter, he demonstrates to his readers that for those who claim to have fellowship with Jesus, who is the light, but yet walk in darkness and sin, uh, that they are lying and fooling themselves. In the second chapter, he demonstrates that those who keep the commandments of Christ know him, and that those who do not are living in darkness. In verses 7 through 14, which we looked at last week, John advocates a love among believers that is in line with keeping one of the commandments of Christ, and that command is, of course, to love one another. 
and that anyone who claims to be a believer and yet hates their fellow believers is not walking in the light at all, but is walking in darkness. There's one pertinent verse in verse 8. He says, this darkness is passing away. This darkness, this darkness is fading. It's not going to last. Well, in our text this morning, John is going to continue to draw a stark contrast between those who follow Jesus and those who do not. It's going to come in the way of a command to these believers. And we may find this morning that it's going to strike very close to home for some of us. In fact, if I could summarize our passage this morning in one sentence, here's what I would say. He who loves the world does not love God and will perish along with the world and its ways. Now that I've got your attention, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through Let's read together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Y'all, did John just tell us to hate the world? Didn't Jesus tell us to love our neighbors? Didn't Jesus himself love the world? John himself actually writes in John 3.16, which he quoted Jesus, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If God loves the world, then shouldn't we as His followers? And by the way, the answer to that question is yes. We should love the world the same way in which God loves the world. But the world in the context of John 3.16, that word is different in that it pertains to humanity. The word world here in 1 John isn't in reference to humanity. The word world is actually in reference to uh, the fallen, sinful lifestyles, ways, systems, and anything else that is in this world that is opposed to the rule and reign of God, that is opposed to the word and will of God. So John articulates that clearly in verse 16, but we'll... We'll get, that there, we'll get there in just a moment. But first we look at verse 15. If you're a note taker or like to take notes, here's our first point. He who loves the world, he who loves the world does not have the love of the Father. It's verse 15. He who loves the world does not have the love of the Father. John wrote in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So right out of the gate... John gives a command for his listeners to obey. Do not love the world. The one who loves the world does not have the love of the Father. The, the word for love here is one that we, uh, we kind of understand intrinsically as human beings. This type of love is the kind of love that is often associated with affection or even contentment. It's not a benevolent love that seeks the good of others per se. No, it's the type of love that seeks the good of one's own self. One's own contentment. One's own enjoyment, if I may. The person who loves the world in this way does not find enjoyment or satisfaction in the things of the Lord. They are too preoccupied with their own interests and their own enjoyments. They have self-identified with the ways of the world. 
the compass of their hearts, if I may, is pointed in the direction of the things of the world rather than the things of the Lord. It is not so much as they love the world too much and they love the Lord too little, but it's that the love of the Father is not in them whatsoever. John makes that clear in this passage that the person who loves the world in this manner does not truly love God. They may claim to be a believer in Christ, but their hearts are elsewhere. That Jesus would go on to say at the end of Matthew 7 that they are far from Him. And I, and I want to draw attention to another Bible verse that actually informs us even more regarding the person who loves the world and its ways. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James, just like John in our passage this morning, uses the word world in the same sense as John. To embrace, to identify, to love, to hold the things of the world above all else over the things of God. Even Jesus said in Matthew 12 that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. To love the world is to embrace the things in which the world stands for that is opposed to the will and reign and word of God. There is no neutral ground in the battle for our souls. You either love God or you hate Him. You either love the things of the world or you hate the things of the world. And as we take stock of our hearts this morning, the question becomes, who do I love? What do I love? Do I love the Father and His ways? Or do I love the world and its ways? You cannot love both. You cannot identify with both. You certainly cannot serve both. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It may, it may help you to think about the word money there as more like wealth or even possessions. And that's, even that which uh, Jesus says in Luke 16 is relevant to our passage this morning. See, he who loves the world does not have the love of the Father. That's our first point. And our second one is this. We're going to define what that love of the world actually looks like now. He who loves the world embraces a lifestyle that is rooted in the love of sin and self. That's our second point. He who loves the world embraces a lifestyle that is rooted in the love of sin and and self. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. John articulates clearly what he means when he uses the word world. He specifically means the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The, uh, the, the New American Standard Bible and the King James Version actually translates the two words desires as the word uh, lust. The New Living Translation translates it as cravings. The word can also be properly translated as longings. 
Desire is the word that the English Standard Version uses. Obviously, that's the one I'm reading from. And the word, the original word in the Greek itself is, interestingly enough, it's neutral. If you survey it throughout the scriptures, scriptures, you'll find that the word itself isn't always used to point to something evil or something good. In fact, in Luke 22, uh, we have one example where the word is actually used positively. Jesus said, I have earnestly desired, there's that word, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he said this to his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper as part of the new covenant. And in contrast, though, Paul uses the same word in Romans 13, verse 14, when he said, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So to have a desire is not necessarily sinful, or it's not necessarily good even. A desire or a longing for something isn't necessarily evil or wrong. It's the object of desire that creates the issue. I can earnestly desire, I can crave, I can long for the day when my children come to know Christ. That is a good longing to have. That's a good desire to have. But there are also desires in this life that can be incredibly sinful and wicked. The desires that John writes concerning are certainly in this category. These things that make up the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life are certainly things that fall into the sinful category. What are these three things that John is making reference to, though? Desires of the flesh are those kinds of sins that engage the body. We think of gluttony, we think of sexual perversion, we think of drunkenness, we think of violence, we think of theft, right? Desires of the eyes are the kinds of sins that engage the heart through the eyes, such as lust, hatred, jealousy, or or coveting. And that last phrase, the pride of life, is that arrogant or prideful boasting that does not give thanks to God. The pride of life, or another way to translate that word life is possessions. The pride of possessions is to make all your accomplishments and all your successes in life about you. It's not about the Lord. It's about you. It's refusing to honor the Lord or giving Him thanks for His provision. And I like the way that one commentator uh, wrote it, Daniel Aiken. He said, What John is telling us is we are not to love and idolize thoughts, values, and behaviors that are contrary to God's Word, referencing back to verse 14 and God's will, verse 17. So John's charge for his readers is ultimately not to walk or live according to the ways of the world, but rather according to the ways and the will of God. Y'all, something I read in, the, in one of my commentaries as I was studying this week was we can very quickly read and hear a passage like this and we can start thinking about cultural systems that are in place, right? And certainly there are cultural systems that are wicked and that are evil. But we have to remember that, number one, John is writing to a very different culture than even we are today. So when we ask the question, how does the Bible influence culture, or how should we look at culture through the lens of Scripture, rather, the question should be asked, is this system, is this culture, is this law, is this thing of which they are promoting or disapproving of, is it in line with Scripture? 
But John doesn't have the government in mind when he writes these words. He has the individual in mind. He has the church in mind. And I think it's telling for us to say that first we must examine our own hearts on the matter before we start looking for places to condemn. Y'all, John is writing for the sake of the church, the bride of Christ. And I don't know how much you spend each week thinking about the bride of Christ. But if Jesus loves His bride far more than you love yours, or far more than you love your family, or far more than you love your husband, or far more than the things you love in this world, right? If Jesus loves His bride far more than those things, which I, I confidently believe that Scripture points us to, then when a gospel writer or when an author of Scripture writes concerning the ways and things of the church, we ought to pause and take stock. Do I love the world? And does my love for the world actually run in opposition to the things of the Lord? And if it does, there's a warning. Repent. Love God over the world. And it's all for a very good reason why we don't love the world. Not only is it sinful and wicked, not only is it in opposition to the things of the Lord, but y'all, this world is passing away. It's fading out of existence. Which brings us to our last point. This morning we've had, He who loves the world does not have the love of the Father. Verse 15. He who loves the world embraces a lifestyle that is rooted in the love of sin and self. Verse 16. And finally, he who loves the world will pass away along with it. He who loves the world will pass away along with it. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Y'all, all sinful things, all evil, all suffering, all wickedness, one day will be undone. John has already wrote in verse 8 that the present darkness is passing away and that the true light is already shining. It's driving back the darkness. And, and I like the way this word can be literally translated as disappearing. We find out here in chapter 2 that it's not only darkness that is on the run, it's also all things that are in opposition to the word and will of God. It, it feels really good to say that the things which oppose the light of Christ in this world are disappearing. These worldly things, along with those who embrace such things, will fade away. They'll be no more. They'll perish it's, it's already understood from the beginning of the chapter what will drive out the worldly ways that are opposed to Christ. It is Christ Himself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 established that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8 says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The first chapter of the Gospel of John reveals in reference to Jesus, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This light, the light of Christ, is what is driving out the darkness, and it will bring the fallen ways of the world to absolute nothingness. It will quite 
quite literally make them disappear, vanish, like a vapor in the wind without a trace. And John reveals the wind of it in our passage. It's happening now. Just as the light of Christ is driving back darkness presently, the worldliness of our world is also passing away. In very real ways, in tangible ways, y'all, when the gospel is believed, darkness loses. When people repent of their sin and trust in Christ, the light shines and darkness fades. Where the light of Christ shines, darkness flees. The world, along with all of its desires, are disappearing even now. And one day, one day, because right now it's, it's a here but not fully realized, right? We can still feel the pangs of this darkness. We still wrestle with our flesh, right? But one day, darkness will be truly and fully undone by the light of Christ. The book of Revelation, also written by, you know it, John the Beloved, unveils the final events as the darkness is once and forevermore driven away. Revelation 20 and 21 list out the judgment of the devil and those whose names are not in the book of life, those who love the world and its ways. And the, it also lists out the realization of the new heaven and the new earth. And the first six verses of Revelation 21 say, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, uh, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The ways of the world, y'all, are temporary. They're like the excitement you get for a new show. Come on, that season starts up in the fall. You watch it for 10 weeks straight, and then just when that finale is over, you spend a week about thinking about it, about why didn't he say this? Why didn't she do that? How could she marry him? Whatever the case may be. And then the next week, you don't even think about it anymore. It's gone. It's vanished. It's fleeting. The ways of this world are temporary, and they're fleeting, and they're unfulfilling. They're making promises they can't keep and producing a satisfaction that won't stay. To love the world's ways is to embrace a pattern of life that will ultimately, hear the warning, destroy your soul. So John's words stand as a warning. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world, for this world is passing away. If those who stand opposed to the word and will of God are those who pass away, then the question becomes, who gets to stay? John answers that question in the last part of verse 17, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If it can be done by someone, then it must be assumed that it has been revealed 
are made known. Wayne Grudem describes the will of God as those things that God has revealed are given for the purpose of obeying God's will. This revealed will of God is God's declared will concerning what we should do or what God commands us to do. And we need several days to really get into all that God wills for humanity, what He wants us to do. But just let me touch a little bit about what Scripture says. Referencing Jesus, John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13 says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right whew, to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but God. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, just in case any of y'all are wondering, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, sorry if this is uh, spoilies for y'all for a couple weeks from now, right? But it's just too good not to share. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Now, I had a pastor one time in a previous church who instructed uh, his congregation regarding obeying the will of God. He said, you don't have to know everything but you do need to be obedient in what you know. The Scriptures testify that the will of God is for you to believe in Jesus Christ. Those who believe will obey. Those who believe will abide in Him. Those who believe will not perish, but have eternal life. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will, hear me church, live forever. So there is a stark contrast then between he who loves the world and he who loves God. Let me list them for you quickly. He who loves God will love the things of God. You will love His Son. You will love His people. You will love His Word. You will love His presence. You will love Him above all other things. He who loves God lives to please God. Your, your life is no longer your own for your own sinful or selfish enjoyment, you live now to the glory of God. You reject sin, you walk in holiness, and you do so by the power of God's Spirit living within you. You only do this. Oh, that's my boy. My boy Ben. That's all right. At New Hope, anytime uh, Samuel, when he was a baby, would cry out during the Wednesday night service, I would always make a joke about him saying amen to me. And by, by the way, baby's crying. I'm only ever going to make mention of that if it's my kid doing it. I would, I'll never do that for anybody else's kid because I, I love the sound of a baby crying. I really do. That's why I have two of them and why they're so young. All right, wrapping up. 
And he who loves God will live forever. Death does not have the final say, believer in Christ. It does not have the last laugh. In fact, I like how Trip Lee puts it in his song, his rap song, I'm Good. He says, death is just a doorway to take me to my faithful lover. We die to ourselves, but we live to Christ forever. So the question begs for each of us to answer this morning. Who do you love? Do you love the world and its ways? you love yourself? you live for your own contentment, your own enjoyment, your own desires, your own satisfaction? Things, are, that, things are which are ultimately unfulfilling and unsatisfying and unable to keep the promise to give you what you want? Or do you love God who has commanded you to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin and to trust in Him and to receive the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in Him and in Him alone? This morning, take stock of your hearts and answer honestly to yourselves, who do you love? The world and its ways are God and His. As you answer that question, we're going to have a time of response. Christian and Ridge are going to come forward to lead us in one more song. And while they're leading us in a song, Pastor Kyle, Pastor Aaron will be in the back of the room near these two doors right here. And uh, they'll be back there if you'd like to maybe ask a few questions. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. They would love, those two men would love to receive you back by the doors. If you just want somebody to pray with you, pray for you, they'll be back there. Y'all, they are, and I say this for me too, we don't exist. We don't exist for our own pleasure, although it is a pleasure to serve the Lord. But we exist for your good. We exist for the kingdom of God. And so if the Lord is trying to do something in your heart right now, then just in a moment when the song begins to be sung, on the first strum of the guitar, go to them. They would delight in nothing more than praying with you, praying for you, and helping you navigate these things in your life. So this time, I'd like to pray for us. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of a song lyric that says how deep the Father's love for us. And I pause, Lord, thinking on that, that your love is so deep for us that even when we were your enemies, even when we wanted nothing to do with you, even when by the testimony of our own lives, we hated you. Lord, you loved us. And Lord, it's not a love that is far off. It's not a love that is intangible. It's not a love that's fleeting or disappearing. But Lord, it's a love that is real, that is near, and that calls us out of darkness. It's the love you bear for us and show us by the sacrifice of your Son upon the cross for our sins. So Lord, my heartbeat, my prayer this morning is that not a single person in this room would walk out without knowing where they stand with you. 
Lord, I pray that faith would grow. I pray that You would draw sinners to Yourself. That sin would be repented of and that Jesus would be trusted in all the more. And Lord, that as we read in Your Scriptures, the darkness is passing away. The world and its ways are passing away. Lord, I pray that for this place right here, right now, that darkness among us would be driven back, that the world and its ways there will be a loss of love for, and Lord, that the love for you would increase in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for this opportunity. Because you are giving us an opportunity to respond to you this morning. I pray that we would not take it for granted, but that we would trust and obey and step out in faith this morning. Thank you so much for the cross of Christ in which Jesus died to take on the punishment of our sin. Lord, in the hope that we have as we, as we trust in Him, the hope of eternal life, knowing that one day this world will be no more. But He who does the will of God will live forever. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.